Put the fucking mic on. How we doing, folks? It's your boy, DP Barstool Sports Starting Nine, and you are listening to the end of the bench. Scoot your ass down. Welcome to a bonus episode of End of the Bench. It's a bonus episode. Lucky you. It's about The Last Dance, a recap podcast about episode one and episode two. It dropped on Sunday night, 9 o'clock Eastern. It's now 1.30 in the morning. I'm recording this at 1.30 a.m. East Coast time. I just watched episode one again. And episode two is in the background muted to my left. I wanted to watch it over again and see if I missed anything. I've read a lot of recaps on the internet so far. I've generated my own notes throughout the episodes as they're going on. Jot down my notes. And I'm doing this as a separate podcast from my actual podcast. It's going to be under the under the bench you know, umbrella. Of course, you see it in the end of the bench podcast area on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you listen on iTunes, and wherever you listen to the podcast. I just felt like this could be a podcast episode by itself. So throughout the time of the, this Last Dance miniseries brought to you by ESPN and Netflix, I'm going to break it down. Every Sunday, once it's done, the next, I think, five weeks, six weeks, I'm going to do this. I'm going to break it down and dissect all the stories and all the you know behind the scenes conversations that we never really heard of. I really liked how we got knew a lot about Scottie Pippen in, in episode two and what he went through not getting paid. And we learned a lot about Jerry Krause, who was an evil person in the beginning of episode one. So let me break it down. Let's start with episode one. Episode one was about in the fall of 1997, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls began their quest to win a sixth NBA title in eight years. But the last dance, as Coach Phil Jackson called it, will be shadowed by tension with the club's front office. Before we get into the club's front office and all the details, the last dance came from a booklet that it was more like a handbook was passed out to each player from Phil Jackson after they played a game overseas in Europe. The team knew that Phil wasn't Phil Jackson wasn't going to get re-signed after the 97-98 season, that there was rumors of Pippen leaving prior to the handbook handed, getting handed out to each player, that Pippen wasn't going to come back. He's recovering from his injury. The team's getting older. They're looking to rebuild. So... There was a Last Dance booklet that was handed out saying, look, guys, the team's going to be different next year. We all know it. So why don't we go out and, you know, and let's go out winning as champions again. And guess what? That is how the topic and that's how the storyline and the title of this unbelievable documentary, The Last Dance, came about. So let's dive into it. Let's start off with Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause was the former general manager for the Bulls. Early in the first episode, we became clear that Jerry Krause would be the villain. I had a feeling I knew a little bit about Jerry Krause to begin with in his past, but I didn't know they would absolutely torch this man early in episode one. 
They absolutely torched him. A little details about who he is. Like I said before, he was the general manager for the Chicago Bulls, Bulls from 1985 to 2003. He's had experience with the Chicago White Sox as a scout or general manager, whatever you want to. I think it's, so his, yeah, his career in a sports in sports include positions as a scout or general manager for the Baltimore Bulls and Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Bulls, of course. But his, his success, real success, <coughs> excuse me, came from the Chicago Bulls. Now, you see in the documentary one thing I do like, which we're going to see a consistent basis of, is how they jumped, they started off showing highlights and clips of the 97-98 year, which is the last dance, which is all based off of. <coughs> and then they go back to moments in the past that are kind of uh, telling the story leading up to the next scene um, in the 1997-1998 year, which we're going to see that going back and forth in time. So we've got to pay attention with that. You know, it's um, it's definitely something that you need to look at and not to get distracted. Don't get distracted and really got to pay attention because you'll lose yourself. I lost myself a little bit. That's why I had to rewatch it again because I, I do like how they go back and forth, but you can get lost in it real quick. <coughs> so quickly, after we see those highlights, we go to Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause. Quickly, he becomes the villain. And you see, look, Krause is not the most handsome person in the world, right? He's a short, fat, chubby guy. Really hasn't gotten any respect his entire life. What the documentary was saying, that he was this guy that was looked at as, I mean, this could be a tough thing to say, like an afterthought, but people didn't respect him. Now, with the success that Krause has put into, Krause put into this Bulls dynasty by, you know, assembling these unbelievable players and coaching staff that, he felt that he he you could definitely see that there was some jealousy involved that he wasn't getting credit. You were seeing Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, and Phil Jackson get the credit, and Jerry Krause wasn't wasn't feeling it. He also was resentful, resentful, excuse me, of Phil Jackson, who who he gave the first his first NBA coaching job years prior. So Krause, he said it in a statement to a reporter, and then he went on television and said that the reporter um, misquoted, and then the reporter, the, well, Krause said the reporter said that, you know, he admitted to his misquoting. But what the story was is that Krause believed that it was the organization that won championships, not the players, which I think everybody on the planet knows that's wrong. If you don't have the players, you can have the best front office ever. You don't got the players, you ain't winning shit. You're not winning. You had the number one player on the planet, Michael Jordan. You had arguably the number two player on the planet, on the same team in Scottie Pippen. You had Dennis Rodman, who was a guy who had his off-the-field moments, 
the guy was was the center of attention off the court, but on the court, it was perfect for the Bulls that he wasn't the center of attention. He rebounded everything. He was defense all the time. You can look at his stats. He would average 18 boards a, a season, but average about five points a game. That was his game. You had Phil Jackson, who was this coaching genius. Yeah, did he have these awesome players around him? Yeah. Well, you had the genius behind him. And then you had role players like Steve Kerr and Tony Kukoc and Cartwright. You had all these great players off the bench and in the starting lineup. Ron Harper. You know, I can go on. But you need the players to win. It's pretty fucking simple. It's, it's pretty simple. You need players to win. That's it. And the fact that Jerry Krause thought it was the organization before players is absolutely crazy. Just goes to show that he's jealous, that he is insecure with himself. He was. And that pissed off Jordan and set the tone for him and Jackson's season to go out in the Blades of Glory and go out and win. And what was what was what was messed up was that Jerry Krause said when there was the discussion of either bringing Phil Jackson back in 97. Phil Jackson was a free agent as a band as a coach. He was will he had the opportunity to go somewhere else, but he didn't. He wanted to stay in Chicago. Jerry Reinsdorf, who was the Chicago Bulls owner, wanted him back. Jerry Krause said, I'm not paying him money to come back. And the reason for that is that he saw it was more it was Jerry Krause and and Jerry Reinsdorf believed that most of the core of players were past their prime and it was time to clean house and start over and get young again. But that's not what Jordan and the, and the rest of the boys thought. So you had going into the 1997 season, you had Phil Jackson who didn't have a job. You had rumors of Scottie Pippen maybe leaving or getting traded. It was very early on, but it started to heat up more in the 97 season. So, but Reinsdorf wanted him back. Very weird. Reinsdorf and, and Kraus wanted a rebuild, but Reinsdorf wanted him back. Remember what we're talking about. Jerry Krause, GM, Jerry Reinsdorf, owner. Jerry Reinsdorf flew to Montana in the offseason where Phil Jackson lives, talked with him, met up with him. Reinsdorf said to Krause, give him a contract, he's coming back. Krause had to bend the knee and say, okay, boss, signs him a one-year, $6 million deal. This, again, is Krause getting belittled and put down another reason that he hates everybody. He hates Phil Jackson. He hates Pippen, hates Jordan, hates everybody. Because, again, he's getting put in his place. He's not getting the respect. He's getting jealous. And that's why he's just he was so resentful towards Phil Jackson in his last year. And even before that, to be honest with you. We also saw that after this situation, after the statement about organizations you need a good organization to win, not the, the not the players. Jordan and the rest of the team took it upon themselves to give zero respect to Kraus for the foreseeable future. We heard short jokes and fat jokes. I mean, this guy is small as hell. He is fat as hell. 
and he's not the most attractive human being on the planet. So we are jokes. I, there was a joke right before the ring ceremony going into the 1997-1998 season. They're stretching in the tunnel before they get there. You know, they go out into the court to go receive their rings. And you see, you hear, and you see Jordan say, hey, do you want to go up in the layup lines with us? Do you want to take some layups? We can, we can lower the rim down. And then we heard a lot more fat. There was talks of more fat jokes. And to be honest, he had it coming. He had it coming. You would make a statement like that saying that the organizations that win championships, not the players. Look, you could you could you could say that to any other team, then there would be an argument. An argument. I'm not saying he, he's right at all. I'm saying there would be an argument. In this case, he's saying it to the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan Bulls. This conversation never have should have been brought up. I understand if you want to make the argument saying, um, you know, the, the Phoenix Suns with Charles Barkley, we need the organization. The, the organization could win championships, not the players. Look, I'm, I know maybe, maybe I'm making a bad example. What I'm saying is, is that Krause had it coming. You can't make a statement like that and then have and then you think you deserve more respect from your your players. Shit ain't gonna happen like that. And he got absolutely roasted every single day for the remaining time that Jordan, Pippen, Phil Jackson, Rodman, anybody you think of, anybody that was there until they left, they hated him. They roasted him. They made fun of him and. And Kraus had it coming. And he did. It, look, the fact that they, they're looking for a rebuild, they wanted a clean house. Look, in 1996-97 season, they won 69 games. Despite winning 69 games and winning their fifth title in seven years, hey, guys, 97, let's clean house. Let's just get rid of everybody. That's bullshit. That makes no sense. You should never clean house with this. You should let the Bulls just get freaking real old and have it die out. Keep winning. Keep competing. Why would you end something at why would you end something so fast? Five tiles in seven years. And then all oh, you know what? I don't want a sixth one. They had they had a shot to win six, and of course they did. But for the fact of the matter is, is that Jerry uh Krause is the public enemy number one villain. Not good looks for Jerry Krause. My second topic that I found very interesting was Michael Jordan's time in North Carolina. We heard a lot of stories about Michael Jordan's young childhood. We all know the story how he didn't make his sophomore season in high school, which is absolutely bonkers. You know, it's a famous story. Um, that's been told for ever since we heard it, and like when when Jordan started playing, so over thirty years ago, thirty thirty five years ago, we've heard this story. Forty years, we've heard this story that Michael Jordan got cut from his sophomore season in high school, and then he went on to play, becoming the number one player in the country at a high school, playing in North Carolina for three years, and then goes to the Bulls and gets drafted, not number one, by the way. 
So there is, uh, and we also heard a funny story about, hilarious story, that, um, hold on, I'm like freezing up here. Uh, there's a funny story that his oldest brother, uh, I want to say his oldest brother, one of his, he has two brothers that he played basketball with a lot, and he told about, they talked about how um, Jordan's father always kept it very competitive with Michael and the rest of the kids when it came to sports or doing other things. But Larry Jordan said, well, that's Michael's brother, said, if you beat me back then, then we had a fight. There was that competitive atmosphere from the beginning. And I think that's what led Michael to becoming this great player. And he even said that. He said that without this kind of play early on in my life, I don't know if I would be this good, which is a crazy statement to say, but you really think about it, it makes sense. And his father, at the time, when there was an old video of his father talking about how um, they used to play a lot when they were younger, and his father said that Larry was a better basketball player than Michael. That's the only time we've ever heard anything like that, that someone was better than Michael Jordan. Think about that. That's the only time I've ever heard someone say that someone was better than Michael. Now, you can say today is LeBron better than Michael. You know, that's the oldest debate of all time. But I'm talking about something real serious here. I mean, Michael Jordan and LeBron James debate is very serious. It's not that good, that twisted now. But you know what I'm trying to say. So... Going into this, we saw a lot more highlights and a lot of highlights that I haven't seen of him playing and practicing at Chapel Hill. We also saw a bunch of interviews with his head coach and Hall of Famer and one of the best coaches of all time, Dean Smith. We saw the assistant at the time, Roy Williams, who's been the head coach of the of the North, North Carolina Tar Heels for many years now. And we also saw one of his teammates get interviewed. James Worthy, who is a absolute fucking legend, Hall of Famer, played for the Lakers dynasty with Magic and Kareem. I love there's certain quotes here that I saw. Roy Williams said, Michael Jordan's the only player that could ever turn it on and off, and he never freaking turned it off. Which was a lot about somebody, Right? And here's another one by James Worthy. James Worthy said that, you know, we all know how amazing James Worthy is. James Worthy said, I was better than Michael for about two weeks. How hilarious is that? James Worthy, who's one of the best basketball players to ever play the game. I'm going to look up this man's stats real quick. James Worthy, he averaged 17 points a game, three-time champ, NBA Finals MVP, seven time All-Star in the College Basketball Hall of Fame and NBA Hall of Fame. He just never, he didn't slow down his entire career. And he said he was only better than Michael for about two weeks in college when Michael was a freaking freshman. That's when he knew that he was, Michael was way better. He was going to be this great player. And I love this, this quote here. They show the highlight of the 1982 NCAA championship game when the Tar Heels played Georgetown. 
Now, Georgetown's player, right, uh, player that was one of the best, probably the best player that's ever played out of Georgetown, who's the, I think, the head coach now is Patrick Ewing. Almost positive. Yeah, Patrick Ewing was playing in this game. And the funny story goes is when we see, yeah, he is that coach. God, I'm good, man. Um, they show the go-ahead shot by Michael, and Jordan describes that shot as a moment that changed him from people calling him Mike to Michael Jordan or Mike to Michael. He also said it gave the confidence that I needed to excel at the game of basketball. So what, in a way, that is the transition from a young man to a grown-ass man. From Mike to Michael. Young man to grown-ass man. Towards the tail end of this college year segment, we saw Bob Knight, Bobby Knight, Bob Knight, who coached him for Team USA. Now, Bobby Knight's one of the best coaches of all time. We all know he is an absolute psychopath coach for Indiana, but he's one of the best coaches to ever coach basketball and maybe any coach any sport. But Bobby Knight said that he was the best basketball player he had ever seen. Keep in mind that Jordan, before Jordan had ever played an NBA game, he said he's the best player he's ever seen before even touching and putting that NBA jersey on. That just tells you that this man was destined to be the best player of all time. Bobby Knight's telling you he's the best player he's ever seen. He's coached just about anybody, been around anybody. If it was Team USA, if it was in college, if it was camps, he had a famous camp you would do, anything. He's seen it all. Jordan's the best. One more, uh, there's two more topics that I like to talk about in, in this episode one version, episode one, excuse me, of The Last Dance. Jordan wanted no part of load management. So in his first year in 84, wins the rookie of the year. Right, we all know that. In the 1985-86 season, following the broken foot that sidelined him for the majority of the season, I think it was about 60-plus games of it, in his sophomore season, Jordan oversaw his own rehab process by going back to where it all started in North Carolina. At Chapel Hill, he would do these swimming exercises, he did a lot of stretching, working out, and he would start off with one-on-ones, two-on-two, three-on-three games, then went on to five-on-five. And this injury on his foot, this the the uh, rehab time was weeks and weeks and could have been months on end. And he, he made the injury just basically vanish out of thin air, thin air. And he was just, in a week's time, two weeks' time, he was healthy, ready to go. They didn't, first of all, they didn't know. The Bulls management didn't know this was going on. And two, don't understand how it happened without anybody knowing. And three, how the fuck did Jordan get, uh, how did he, you know, freaking rehab so fast? No one understands. So when he returned at the end of the season, 
he was on a seven minute, seven minute per half um, minutes limit, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it was a seven minute per half minutes limit. That was from Reinsdorf and uh, Krause. Now, of course, Michael Jordan being the competitive person he is, he says, oh, I don't like that. So, before I even get into the discussion of the, of the minutes limit, Reinsdorf was talking with the, the head trainer saying, what are the odds of you know him hurting himself? And it's like, I think he said something around like 99% or something like that. And and that's or being safe or whatever. And then I think it was he said that that one percent could ruin his career and the career would be over. Jordan was like, "Look, I, I want to play, man. I want to do this." So he gets the seven minutes per half minutes limit, and he then goes on to play in the playoffs. Bulls made the playoffs despite going thirty and fifty-two at the time, which was the fifth worst record of any team to qualify for the playoffs in NBA history. Look, teams are making it 500 records now. It's weird, but this is, you know, you're 22 games under 500 and you still make the playoffs. Incredible. Jordan recovered, like I said, in, in record time. And in the postseason, he performed, um, let's just say, Jordan-esque. And, of course, they played... Maybe the greatest team in NBA history, one of the best teams in NBA history, the 1985-86 Boston Celtics, Jordan then set and still unbroken records for points in a playoff game with 63 in Game 2. However, the Celtics managed to sweep the series. 63 points off of a broken foot not too long ago. This is Michael Jordan, and we're just seeing it early on in episode one and early on in this unbelievable 10-part series. And some funny things to add to end this episode one recap. Funny things to add is um, when they're in, you know, you would see all these people talking. We saw Pat Riley and Phil Jackson and all these different players and Steve Kerr and, and Larry Bird, whatever. You're also seeing, you know, guys that wrote books and reporters and we saw Barack Obama. Barack Obama was considered as like it was his name and then the tagline of what he his job title is. Usually it says job title like here, you know, uh writer for this newspaper or former GM or former player played in ninety five to ninety seven, whatever. His thing said former Chicago resident. This man is the former president of the United States. I understand that he is a Chicago, or former Chicago resident. I understand he's a giant Bulls fan. But you got to put the guy's freaking real tight up there as the, as the fucking president of the United States. Former president of the United States. What I tried saying before was lower third. Um, people might not understand what lower third is. Lower third title sequence. And he puts the title and then underneath his... Underneath his name has the title of what who he is. Um, look, technically it's true. Yes, former Chicago resident, but put put the president of the United States there. I think it's too late to change that now since it's airing on ESPN. Um, look, we're look. Former Chicago resident's getting his dream dream come true. 
talking about NBA basketball, talking about his favorite player, Michael Jordan. Love to see it. Love to see it. And this last topic here, the traveling cocaine circus. Can you get a better topic to talk about to finish off episode one? Unbelievable story. So the Bulls back in 84 were horrible. They got Jordan in the draft. They were considered a really shitty team. A bunch of players that really didn't try that hard, kind of just did their best. Did whatever they could. The Bulls were considered, in, in as a, um, a story in some newspaper that was told on the documentary, the Traveling Cocaine Circus. That was what they were considered. Jordan wasn't the, the guy to go out and party in the clubs, drink, smoke, or do any sort of drugs. He was a clean guy. He had one job and was to play basketball and play well at it. So the Bulls drafted him in, in 84. Chicago had missed the playoffs in seven of the previous nine seasons, despite the fact 16 of the league's 23 teams made the postseason each year. That's how bad they were. And also, there was an indoor soccer team, the Chicago Sting, would outdraw the Bulls every year. That's how bad they are. Now, many players would often use cocaine or other recreational drugs like weed. And, like I said before, while Jordan would be the guy that really wouldn't be that type of dude to go out. So, there was one night, this is one story that he told, there was one night where um, he wanted to, couldn't find any of the guys at one of the hotels they were staying at. He would keep knocking at everyone's door. So this is the account of, uh, this is the story that Jordan told. And I'm going to read a quote for a quote here. Jordan said, so they open the door. I walk in. Oh, so before I say this, he goes, I knock on everyone's door and no one's answering. And he finds one door, one room. They can hear some noise and he knocks on it. So this is what he says. So they open up the door. I walk in. And practically the whole team is in there. It was things I've never seen in my life as a young kid. You got your lines over here, your weed over here, smokers over here, and you got your woman over here. This is a, a teen, like almost like a young kid, a young man. Never seen anything like this. You know, in the episode, the interview tells a present day story, like this story I'm talking about here. And then he goes on to say, like, you know, he, he knocks on the door and everyone's like, shh. Didn't think it thought it was like some, you know, cop or some coach or whatever. And then he says, it's, it's MJ. And he's like, oh, fuck, come on in. Whatever. You're good. How hilarious is that? That's absolutely hilarious to think that. This young kid is just trying to hang out with his teammates and just trying to chill. And then as he saw that of what his team was doing, he said, I was pretty much on my own after that. And he just was the guy that was a straight shooter, just drank OJ and some 7-Up. That was pretty much it. He's like, the first thing I said is I'm out. Because all I can think of is that they can came and raid through this place right now. I'm just as guilty as everyone else in this room. From that point on, I was more 
or less on my own. That was the rest of the, the end of the quote there. The long story. So, episode one. The moral of the episode one is, we saw Michael turn from a young man into a grown-ass man. Jerry Krause is an absolute lunatic, idiot, and not a fan favorite. And I would say um, the last thing is, is the 84 Bulls can fucking party. Traveling Cocaine Circus. Gotta love that title. Let's get into episode two. It was strictly about Scottie Pippen. We learned right from the get-go about his young days. Playing in college. We saw him get drafted by the Supersonics. Then get traded immediately right after to the Chicago Bulls. We saw a funny scene of... Him getting slapped in the face by Charles Oakley his rookie year. Basically setting the tone and telling him, like, look, you can't come in here saying you're going to beat Michael Jordan be better than Michael. you got to act like a rookie, be a rookie. You can be an unbelievable player, but don't have that kind of attitude coming in. And that slap in the face was like, I was like, damn, he hasn't been slapping that hard. Like, what the, what the fuck? But that was Charles That was Charles Oakley. Oakley was this, Oakley was... The shield to Michael Jordan. Oakley, whenever there was an altercation, Oakley came right there and was in everybody's face. But that's what Oakley was. But more on Pippen, this is the main focus was on him. The main focus was Scottie Pippen wanted out of Chicago. Pippen signed a deal for seven years, $118 million in 1990. By 1997, his time was up. Now I have time for a new deal. Now, what Jerry Reinsdorf's, um, his account from this was saying, look, I told him not to do it. We offered to him, and Kraus offered to him, and it was the Reinsdorf even said behind Kraus' back, say, look, I think you should wait a little longer. You're worth more of it. But Sky Pippen had family that he needed to take care of. His father suffered from a stroke, was paralyzed. His oldest, uh, one of his brothers, um, got um, was got hurt um, on the playground in a wrestling mat, and he became paralyzed. So he had a lot of family to take care of because they weren't healthy and they were extremely poor family to begin with. So you can understand why he signed the deal, but legit, right after he signed this. The NBA cap goes up. More players are getting paid. Worse players. I'm not gonna say worse because that, that's not a that's not a word. So I'm gonna be, you know, correct here. <laughs> players that were a lot a lot more of a, like they weren't even close to the talent level. Scotty Pippen were getting paid more than Scotty. Now here's something to really look into here. I looked up the the highest paid players on the '97 '98 Bulls. Pippen is six on that list at two point eight million per year, making that year. MJ with thirty three point one million, and then you had Ron Harper at, and Tony Kukoc at four six, Dennis Rodman at four five, and Longley at four at three two, and then you had Pippen at two point eight million. Pippen at the time was the one hundred and twenty second highest paid player in the NBA. Pippen is the second best player. 
in the NBA, and he's getting paid $2.8 million. Look, I'd be pissed off, too, if I was Scottie Pippen. Now, the thing was, is, it, is when what was told about Reinsdorf and how he dealt with deals, making deals for people, is saying, once the deal's done, you can't negotiate or restructure your contract. Once it's set in stone, I'm not going back to it. So I got to think, Pippen, after he signs a seven-year, $18 million contract, and then sees other players get paid a lot more than him, sure has got to be living, and he can't restructure it. I mean, realistically, you could restructure, but that's not how Reinsdorf ran his organization. Bills, Bulls, not Bills, Bulls ownership had refused to negotiate the deal, like I said before, even as players, other salaries soared, even on his own team. How do you feel about that? Other teammates are getting paid more than him as the years have gone on. What made matters worse is that our general manager, Jerry Krause, we've all known from the beginning of this bonus episode, that he's not a nice person. We understand business is business, but he's not handling business correctly. He went out and publicly acknowledged that he was engaging in trade conversations regarding Scotty Pippen. This is Scotty fucking Pippen, the second best player in the NBA, and there's discussions of trade talks around him. This is not looking good for the Bulls nation. Pippen said in the in the documentary that he felt like he was getting taken advantage of, and and he it was like taking it for granted. I would feel the same way, absolutely. Felt the same fucking way, without a doubt. It's horrible what Jerry Krause was doing. Because Krause was humiliated. He was getting no respect. I didn't get no respect. That's some Roger Dangerville shit. So, during that season, he hurt himself. Pippen hurt himself with the foot. He elected to postpone his foot surgery. Rather than addressing it, the injury over the summer, he waited and he missed the first two months of the season. He said this and quote, the best quote of the entire po- entire uh, first two episodes, and it probably will be the best quote of the ten episodes. He said, I'm not going to fuck my summer up to rehab for a season. He then went out and he explained, and then he went on to say this. They're not going to be looking forward to having me, so I'm going to just enjoy my summer. I'll use the season. I'll use the season to prepare. Jordan considered him his best teammate of all time, but Jordan really wasn't happy with that comment at all. Understandable. Can can we also understand where Pippen's coming from though? He wants to be. He said it. The first thing that was asked in episode two, there was a press conference with with Scottie Pippen. And Pippen asked in a response to a question saying, I want to be a bull for life. I want to stay here until I'm done. We saw in the ring ceremony see the uh, um, scene where we see Pippen in street clothes with the mic in his hand talking to the crowd and getting really emotional. It was basically his goodbye in a way 
it wasn't an official goodbye, but it was a goodbye in, in, in one way or another. I'm not going to fuck my summer up to rehab for a season when basically you don't want me back either way. So then it got worse from right there. Right there, it just got worse and worse. Pippen started berating Jerry Krause in front of his team, in front of the team that was quoted from Phil Jackson, and and said shortly thereafter, Pippen, who was subjected to trade rooms that summer, said that he was not going to play for another team, another, another game for that team. He said, I'm fucking done. I would be too. If I if I hear trade rooms, I'm this kind of a player. I'm this amazing. I'm the number two. I'm the sidekick to Michael Jordan. I've won you NBA championships. You drafted me. I've been here forever. And you give me zero respect. Look, he said it. I'm not playing another game for this team ever again. Understandable. Pippen demanded a trade right after that which Jordan thought at the, at the time was selfish. Of course, that didn't come to fruition. So basically, we were, we were left with this giant cliffhanger, which I think we're going to be seeing towards the, I want to say, I'm going to guess, five or six, episode five or six, maybe even later than that. We might, may, I don't know, maybe we'll see a little bit of it in three and four because we've been hinted in three and four for next Sunday, that this is going to be about the Detroit Pistons and Dennis Rodman. I mean, there was a whole 30 for 30 on Dennis Rodman anyway that you can go watch by itself. That's how amazing his story is. But the Detroit Pistons roadblock from basically, I think the era was 87 to 90, where it was the bad boy Pistons with Isaiah Thomas and Bill Lambeer. You had that that bunch of dudes that just absolutely would fight rather than fuck. That's looking like maybe episode three and Robin's four. Those are the rumors that are coming out. That's what I've been reading and seeing. I saw a little bit, little bit of it on on ESPN after the documentary series ended. Uh, SVP was on and he was talking about it for about a half hour, more than that. But that was episode two. It was really just about Michael. It was about Sky Pippen. So, the, like the title of the like the generic title I've been seeing, I title, but the uh, synopsis of the episode was Michael Jordan is left to be, begin the 1997-1998 season without his injured sidekick Sky Pippen, whose contract dispute with the Bulls front office reaches a fever pitch as the team gets off to the worst start of the championship runs. All Sky Pippen in episode two. Michael Jordan's early run, and Jerry Krause in episode one. A lot to be did about 45 minutes of this. Just about 45 minutes, right? 43.20, I think. So look, it was. It's. I, I'm very happy I did this. I'm going to be doing this, like I said before, until this is done. They're doing two episodes a Sunday, every Sunday until this is over. So next Sunday's recap will be about episodes three and four. I hope everyone enjoyed listening to this. We're still going to have our episode on Friday. Now, just to reiterate with everybody that we used to do two podcasts a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but since this coronavirus is um, getting in the way with all sports around the world, there isn't a lot of sports topics to talk about. 
So Friday, you'll see episode number, number uh, 95. There will be another guest on episode 95, and we're going to be talking the NFL draft. I'm excited to see the NFL draft. I'm excited to see who the Giants are going to take. I know I haven't really been talking about it so much on the regular episodes, but get ready. Episode 95 is going to be a recap of the first round in the NFL draft. Get ready for on Friday's episode. It's going to be awesome. It will be either on dropped on Friday evening or Saturday morning. So get ready for that. Thank you for listening to the Last Dance Recap Podcast. We'll catch everyone next Sunday for this one. And we'll catch everyone on Friday for the regular episodes. Peace! Man, I just wanna go flat